Welcome, I'm your host, Greg McEwen. I'm the author of two New York Times bestsellers, Effortless and Essentialism. And I'm here with you on the journey on how to live a life that really matters. Have you ever struggled with the transition? What is a transition you are going through right now? How's it going? What would happen if you could make the transition less difficult and a little more effortless? Today, I've invited the wisest person I know, my wife, Anna, back to the podcast to have a conversation about transitions. We share some of the transition challenges we're going through, some principles that we're looking to to be able to handle them less badly. And by the end of this episode, you will be able to make transitions a little more effortless. Let's begin. Remember to teach the ideas in this podcast episode to someone else within the next 24 to 48 hours of listening. Take them with you on this journey. This episode is sponsored by Shopify. Selling a little or a lot. <coughs> Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify's there to help you grow. So whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person point of sale system, whenever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. So sell more with less effort, thanks to Shopify magic, which is your AI powered all-star. In my experience with every business that I have built, including this podcast, there are breakthrough moments and those moments are often the result of finding the right partner. And I think that's a way to think about Shopify because no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash Greg, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash Greg now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Greg. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So... 
You want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall, rock-climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. Anna, welcome for the first time onto the new podcast. I'm not sure if it is the first time, actually, but uh, but nevertheless, <laughs> it feels like it. <laughs> Thank you. It's good to be here. This subject that is really on our minds right now is making transitions. And there's a few thoughts in my mind as we kick this off. Uh, the first is that I think being married to me is signing up for an endless flow of transitions. And, and I don't mean that there aren't transitions outside of that, but I do think, if I have some self-awareness in this moment, that I tend to, to rethink, challenge, reimagine life more often than somebody else you could have married. Your reaction to that? Well, when you started out with what you just said, I, I thought, well, I don't know if that's true. I mean, yes, I think that our life may have more transitions throughout it than the average experience on earth, but I feel like I sign up for them frequently as well, even though you and I both have very different approaches to life in, in a lot of ways. There are some ways that we are very similar, and one is that we do like to question the status quo, and we like to explore what's possible. Oh, I love that you said that because I think that might be something about you that is underappreciated, even by those who know you, because you're not sort of flashy about changes and transitions, but you are, in my view, seriously countercultural, willing to challenge the norm, to ask, why does it have to be done that way? Is there a different way of doing it? Just because everyone else is doing it doesn't mean I have to do it that same way. In fact, if everyone else is doing it, I think you have um, a healthy distrust of it in and of that reason. Thoughts? Yeah, I think I would agree with you. I don't feel like a disruptor, however. I am very much willing to disrupt my own life, but I, as, as you well know, I don't like to stir up contention. I wouldn't say conflict is the big thing I'm trying to avoid because I like clarity and I want to have those conversations that get to clarity. And that is more important to me than holding back or avoiding conversation. But at the same time, I don't like stirring the pot making a fuss, getting the attention on myself. Oh, what sh what's she doing over there? She's doing something different. You know, that's not my cup of tea. But I do like to just get on with doing things differently if that feels right to me. And, and cup of tea is a nice um, note <laughs> because we, we, you know, at the time of this conversation, we are in the midst of another major transition. Another transition, yes. 
because, well, tell us what's going on. We are moving again to <laughs> England this time. So it's an international move. And it's not a long-term move. It is less than a year. However, it's not short either uh, because it will be between eight and 10 months. Yes, some people, when they go through a midlife crisis, you know, try and go and buy a Porsche. But in my case, it includes going and doing a doctorate at the University of Cambridge. (laughs) And you have been on board with this from beginning to end. Nevertheless, it, it is another pretty serious move. And and let me just sort of say parenthetically to this that let's just define a transition. It's uh, a, a period or process of changing from one state or condition to another. Okay, we've defined a term. There are so many transitions. You know, even as I make this claim at the beginning that maybe I tend towards transitions and then you claim, well, yeah, actually I tend towards transitions it seems like it is an inherent part of life uh, in, in some pretty serious ways. You know, the, the, an executive who's trying to lead a turnaround, that's a transition. A manager taking on a new leadership role, an employee starting a new job, uh, getting married, reaching a significant age point, 30, 40, 50, 60, whatever, uh, becoming a parent, leaving university, changing jobs, becoming ill, uh, being bereaved retiring. I mean, at every, just to be alive means you're going to face transitions. So let me just ask you this question. Like, what have you learned about doing transitions the wrong way? Like, what would you do if you wanted to make transitions really hard on yourself and the people around you? I would stress myself out to the point of being absolutely miserable to be around and unable to make decisions with clarity and centeredness. And then I'd get sick on top of it all. I think about the idea that everybody wants growth, but not everybody wants change. And I'm wondering what it really is about change and transitions that can be so difficult so overwhelming. I think that's why people don't like change, right? Because it can be difficult. But like you said, with all of those examples, and I was just looking up who said the only thing constant is change. And it's a Greek philosopher named Heraclitus. What he actually said is change is the only constant in life. Change is the only constant in life. I I feel that. I feel that in my own life that it is perpetual, sometimes from outside influences, pandemic, a child suddenly seriously sick, California fires where we have to be mandatory evacuation, uh, death and sickness of friends, uh, family. I mean, there's that whole range of things. And then there's things you choose because you want something different, something better. You want to grow, you want to improve. Uh, And I think it's a bit like the yin-yang diagram. Uh, You remember the the two connected circles where there's a white dot and a black dot and they're exchanged. People have seen that image. 
and they represent order and chaos. Or in, in this sense, we could say exploration and clarity that that you need a certain amount of transition and change just to feel centered and whole, to feel like life is good. But if you have too much of it, it becomes overwhelming. If you have too little of it, then it becomes unsatisfying. And so trying in times of transition to maintain that, that right equilibrium, I think is a challenge. Uh, what have you learned from the transitions of your life? I've learned I don't like them. <laughs> okay, more. But, um, okay, more. But I, it actually was a learning process, or rather, maybe a, a more accurate thing to say was I, I learned that they surprise me, and that can be very disruptive to my psyche <laughs> if I'm not prepared, if I'm not looking out for it. Well, and now you've you've gone and done it because you've shared both sides of the yin yang dichotomy, right? Because you've said up front, well, actually, I, I, there's something in me that requires transition and doing things differently and changing yeah. and mm -hmm. initiating that process of change. And then when I ask you, as you think about all of them, what you learn, well, I don't like them. And so it's exactly that tension of wanting them and also not liking them. Well, and if I'm seems, yeah, precise go ahead. about it, Please. the the kind of change that I find particularly difficult is moving. And I was surprised by that. Like going away to college, I wasn't immediately homesick. I had a really great first semester. But come the second semester, I didn't even recognize it as homesickness exactly. I don't even, even now I'm not exactly sure if that's the accurate definition, but I found the second semester so much more difficult. I felt more in transition. The newness had worn off, the novelty, and all of a sudden everything felt oddly unfamiliar and I felt a bit lost. And so that transition was disruptive enough that I took note. I was like, oh, is this, is this something that may be a challenge for me in the future? Well, I, I love that. Something you said that is intriguing to me is if I'm not prepared for it. Like there are things that we can do, things that you've learned that we can do to prepare to make transitions smoother, a little smoother. What, what are some of those things? Well, as we approach this next transition, a move again, uh, we have our youngest two kids moving with us. And I definitely feel the responsibility to set expectations for myself, for them. I don't want to give a false expectation. Oh, this it's going to be so exciting. It's going you're going to make so many friends. It's going to be amazing. You know, yes, it's going to be a valuable experience and I believe there's going to be a lot of wonderful moments and and people and all of that. But I also want to set the expectation that this is a transition and we're going to probably feel a bit 
lonely, a bit homesick. The weather could be a bit of a challenge. And therefore, what are we going to do about it? What are the things we can prepare ourselves for now? What are the habits that we can begin to either begin or step up in? I think I've already thought like this year needs to be a year of gratitude. And I already really believe in in the power of gratitude, but I definitely want to lean into it this year as we go to England so that every experience we are looking for what is valuable in it. Because I don't know what it's going to be like. I've lived long enough and made enough transitions to know that you can't prepare for every situation and every eventuality. You just can't prepare for it all. I try. Sometimes I even get a bit manic in trying to think through every curveball that might come and avoid it, you know, but it just doesn't work that way. I'm all for preparation. I think there's a lot of good that, that comes from preparing. And part of that preparation is recognizing there are going to be things that are surprising and unpleasant, but it's not going to destroy you. You will survive it and it can actually really be an amazing experience even with that, even because of that. So Anna, here's what I want from you, no pressure, (laughs) is to share with me and to everyone who's listening the principles and tools that we can use going through this Cambridge transition, but the other people going through their own transitions can also apply to make those transitions, if not effortless, at least less painful than they sometimes are. You've mentioned gratitude already. Yes. Uh, and in trying to do that, do you want to share more about that or move on to the next? I think gratitude is part of a, a greater whole. When I think about transition, it comes back to a, f- a very familiar idea. I'm sure everyone's heard of it. And that is about kind of the whole person the spiritual, the mental, the physical, the social aspects of our lives. And so I like to do an evaluation, you know, just kind of a take stock of where I'm at in those areas. Am I already in a healthy place in those areas? Because going into the next phase, like going through a transition often can disrupt at least one of those areas, if not all of them. And so I like Mm -hmm. to think about how can I be healthy in those areas as I go through this transition? And because I'm a mother, I think about that with my children as well. How can I help them to be healthy in these four areas? That definitely was a part of when Eve was sick. How do we nourish the four areas of our of our lives and help to be grounded and balanced through through this experience? And gratitude definitely is part of that. I feel like that is, for me, both spiritual because I am often grateful or, or the most powerful gratitude for me is, is to God. But it also helps my social life because I become more grateful to others and any little interaction or thing that they do, you know, looking at it through a lens of gratitude just makes me so grateful for a friend, a phone call, a text, a hug. And so gratitude can really help in a lot of those areas. But if going forward, like as we go to Cambridge, I am thinking about, okay, what do I need to do physically? What do I need to do mentally or academically even, you know, to, to feed my 
my brain? What do I need to do for my spirit? And what do I need to do socially? Yes. And I think that related to that is you haven't said the word, but I think it's, it's right, right underneath what you're describing is the routines. You've talked to me about this, the importance of saying, what are the routines that will support this whole person health that will protect the asset when we go through transitions? Because in any time of transition and stress, as I've interviewed just thousands of people now about this question of what's essential that you're underinvesting in, you know, personal overall health is the first to go. People, hmm. when they're in significant stress and transition is just one form of increased stress, they just they just stop exercising. Whatever routine they had for that. Well, I'm sure this sleep is, is disrupted. Food sleep. can take a turn for like just comfort food and those things that can hit our immune system and make us more vulnerable to to be sick. Yeah, that makes yeah, perfect ex sense. Ex exactly, and so. And so I, I, I love this. Talk to me about, you know, what are you thinking about right now in terms of routines for this, you know, post-England world? Yeah, I, I was just reading an article about homesickness. I was, you know, doing a Google search on that because we definitely have, have some of that in our, in, like, I can be a bit homesick. I have a child who's particularly struggles with homesickness. And so I'm thinking about that and how to alleviate that. Uh, as much as possible. I don't think we can get rid of it, but how do we face it in a healthy way? And one of those things is is routine and creating the routines in a way that embraces the new place. So I am definitely exploring the area. I'd like to have some sort of outing, like getting out every day. Um, I'm still in the mode of figuring out exactly what that looks like, but that is my intent, is that we are out of out of the apartment, either on a walk, maybe we've looked into rowing as a possibility. I mean, who knows, right? But getting out every day. I want to get out at least once a week with Jack and Esther to London because we're not that far from there, and it just has so, so much to offer. So that is a routine that I intend to put in place as well. Also on the subject of routine that I, I was thinking about when you were just talking was the transition when we had COVID and we were super locked down. And one of our children became very withdrawn, sad, and depressed. And as I pondered, like, what what does she need? Because it's not just talking, even though talking can help. She, she seemed a bit lost. And I'm not sure where this came from. I, I think it was because a, a friend of mine, she I, I'd been emailing her and she'd taken up knitting with a vengeance. And she'd always liked it, but she was just doing a lot of it. And I thought, this there's something here. Maybe, maybe this child would like to take up a new hobby and a skill. And she did. She took up crocheting. And the very first thing that she wanted to crochet was a blanket for one of her cousins, a newborn cousin. And the impact that that had on her was 
greater than I would have anticipated. It was immediate, wasn't it? It was. It was like, there's something to do. I'm excited about this. I'm going to be doing something for someone else. I'm going to pick this color for that baby. And I'm going to pick the softest yarn I can find for that baby. And and the motivation was there. And she has kept with that even since the pandemic has ended. That is now a skill. And it's a joy to behold. And so, so that's another kind of possible way of, of working a routine. And because that, that got her brain active, that got her body active. I know it's quite sedentary, but still, you know, the body is moving, crocheting and, uh, it got her creativity going, those juices flowing. Yeah. I think it fed her in multiple areas of her life. At first I was thinking about this transition between something that's difficult to something that's more effortless. But as we're talking, I can see it framed differently about the difference between something that's full of suffering versus something that is full of joy. And I have seen that in transitions before, like with Eve when she got sick, it, it did have suffering, but there was joy in it. And I love the idea of what can we do to make this new transition to Cambridge joyful? Yeah, absolutely. Something in what you've just said speaks to me of, of resilience. When I went through those first experiences with transition that were discombobulating, really, I thought, oh, what is wrong with me? You know, and uh, I think it's easy to get down on oneself when one is going through a transition and it, and it feels so hard. And I really wanted to improve in, in this. And so I started reading about resilience and optimism and, okay, how do I get good at this? Because I don't think I'm, I think I'm not good at this. And so I think resilience is, is a really important part of transitions or rather mindset where we aren't looking at things as fixed. I mean, I think when we do have a fixed mindset, transition is naturally going to disrupt that because our lives are not fixed. And so transferring into a more gentle view of the process, a more a more compassionate view of ourselves as we go through the process, recognizing that this is going to take some time before things feel normal, maybe before they feel good. If, if normal is what makes us feel good, it may be a little while before, before it feels that way. And that's okay. In, in that article on homesickness, it talks about not giving it a timeline, not setting up this expectation of, okay, I need to not feel homesick anymore. Or if homesickness set in a bit later than expected to not be thrown by that either, you know, these, these challenges with transition can, can hit us at unexpected times. And so recognizing that it will take time and that that is okay. And that we really should praise ourselves through this process when something goes right, or we have a good day, or we went out of our comfort zone and engaged in this change engaged in whatever this transition is bringing at us, be it moving or at work or whatever. Yes, I think it goes back to the beginning 
where we define transition as a process of changing from one state or condition to another. It's a process. It's growth. It's not something that you snap and it's done. A decision can be made in an instant. A decision to make a transition. I mean, things change in a heartbeat at key moments in our lives, two and a half seconds, boom. We've chosen to go to Cambridge, chosen to take a new job, chosen to make a change in a transition, uh, chosen to get married. I mean, these moments can happen, but then what follows that decision is the transition. It's the process. And so embracing the process, I think, is a different way of thinking about transition. Yes, because I think I would feel really down on myself when I would make efforts and I still felt kind of crummy at the end of the day or something, you know, like I want, I don't want to feel crummy ever again. <laughs> right. As if there's something wrong with feeling strange in a strange experience. Right. An idea that I like is that a normal response to an abnormal situation is abnormal. So if we're feeling strange in transition, that's normal. That's exactly what we ought to be feeling. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's not the same as failing at transition. What's, give, give us a, a, a final principle for what we can do to make transitions less full of suffering, more full of joy. I think the final principle that I would share is one that I definitely can improve in and intend to improve in. And that is in building a network, in, in sociality and leaning into meeting new people and getting to know my neighbors and engaging in things like clubs or actually our church is a worldwide church. We we belong to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And so that's a community that we will immediately have. And that's a very comforting truth for, for me, that, that wherever we go, we can find a church within an hour or two where there will be a community right there uh, with people who are trying to serve and with activities that we can immediately begin to go to. And uh, I'm not proselytizing at all, but if if anyone's in a place and doesn't have a group, there's always someone at one of those churches that's happy to have more people come and attend. You know, it's it's a very welcoming place. So those kinds of activities, finding a community, you were just reading, you just had a podcast with someone who wrote a book on... Find your people. Find your people. And I... I have thought of that again and again and again ever since you had that that podcast about bugging people. I think that's just so beautiful and so out of my comfort zone. And and immediately after moving this this most recent move, you are so good at at, at remembering these principles and and challenging us to try and incorporate them and live them. And you're like, don't not make that soup because we don't have tomatoes. Call our neighbor. We she she just introduced herself a couple of days ago. Call her up or text her and bug her. 
And I wouldn't have thought of it. And I definitely would have leaned toward, oh, I don't want to bug her, you know. And now with all of these conveniences like Amazon and grocery delivery and things like that, it's just so easy not to bug people. But we really miss something, don't we? And so I want to do that more. And I did bug that neighbor. And she was so lovely and immediately came and brought me some tomatoes and saved the day. So I just felt so grateful. She had totally helped me out. And uh, and now we have this connection and we we are friends now. And I don't know that we would be if you hadn't told me to bug her. And I am so thankful to Jenny Allen for writing that book, for being on your podcast. I know that book has so many other wonderful points and tools and such, but that one little tool has already changed my life. And look, it's, it is important because what she talks about is this inverted pyramid where at the bottom is what everybody wants socially, which is friends, close friends, three to five close friends that you feel safe with, they feel safe with you, uh, they can help you in this case through transitions. Uh, at the top is what everybody has, which is just a bunch of acquaintances. You know, let's say it's like a hundred people. Maybe there's more people we come in contact with. But what's missing is this middle piece of the inverted pyramid, which is the the village, the community of people that we have transitioned from acquaintances into more of a village just by, in the words that we've been using here, by bugging each other, by being willing to be a little bit vulnerable. Okay, I need this, I need that, instead of simply saying, okay, Amazon is the answer, uh, go and be self-sufficient. It's actually tapping to each other so that you can build a relationship, so that you can get past the acquaintance level. Yes. I intend to be a better neighbor, to know my neighbors right around me. How, how often have I, I lived in a place and you're hardly chatting with the people who, who live right next to you? I, I, I do know a lot of people who are really great at that, and uh, I really admire them, and I, I want to be like them. Yeah. These principles can apply both in a personal environment, as we've been emphasizing today, but also in a professional environment to think about the common mistakes that people make when they're in transition. When they're focused on the transition, there are other things that are important that get lost that would actually help make the transition less painful, more effortless, less full of suffering, more full of joy. Anna, thank you again for being on the podcast and uh, talking thank through you. this. It's a very meta moment because we're yeah, talking we need about to apply the principles, all of this but right now. we need to apply it ourselves. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. And now it's time for us to transition at the end of this podcast. If you found value in this episode, please write a review on Apple Podcasts. The first five people to write a review of this episode will receive year-long access to the Essentialism Academy. Just send a photo of your review to info at Make this podcast effortless for yourself by subscribing to the podcast, and then you can receive for free episodes on Tuesdays and Thursdays. 
another free resource for you to help you in transitions and in designing a life that really matters is signing up for the One Minute Wednesday newsletter. Go to gregmcewan.com forward slash 1MW. Whether it's transitions in general or achieving 10x results, now is the time to add the asset of the effortless book to your life. Either listen to the Audible or purchase the hardcover so that you can make achieving the life that really matters as effortless as possible. I look forward to continuing the conversation with you next time. Thank you, really thank you for listening. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world, and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join Podcast Royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.